scriptures from John, the 20th chapter. Very early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene came to the tomb. She discovered that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she went running to Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord, and we do not know where they have put him. So Simon Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen, strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind, arrived, and he went into the tomb and saw the strips of linen lying there, along with the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. It was folded up, separated from the linen. Then John, who had gotten there first, went into the tomb. He saw and believed. As of yet, they did not understand the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Both the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood by the tomb crying. She bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? And she said, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have put him. At this time, she turned around, and Jesus was standing behind her. She did not recognize that it was Jesus. He said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried off his body somewhere, tell me where you put him and I will go and get him. Jesus said to her in uh, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means my teacher. Jesus said, do not hold to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. But go and tell my brothers that I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary went back to the disciples and told them the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I have a habit of losing things. Uh, some years ago, my wife found the car keys I had lost in the refrigerator. Uh, a few months back, one of my children found the sunglasses I had lost on the top of my head. And then it is almost a monthly occurrence when I will have to have someone dial my cell phone so I can hear it ring and find out where I left it. But I've also lost more important things. Years and years ago, when I was pastor of a much a smaller church, a man gave me a check that amounted to about 5% of the entire annual budget of the church, and I lost it. Another time during the holidays, I was at Best Buy with one of my children when he was young, and I was uh, more materialistic then. I was looking at big screen uh, TVs, and, and I'm not like that anymore because now I have one, but... <laughs> I was looking at that, and he wandered off toward the video games, and for a few minutes, I had lost him. I've lost important things. During March Madness, I lost the remote. <laughs> but I have noticed this about myself in recent months, with crises in the family, illness, and, and a death, that from time to time, like Mary, I've lost Jesus. 
From time to time, I've wanted to cry out, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. Have you ever felt like that? Has something ever happened in your life and you've wanted to cry out, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. Perhaps it was an illness that caused you to cry out. Or maybe it was a death. Or maybe it was a transition in life or in a job situation. And you cried out, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Now we know that no one had taken Jesus away. And that he was still there. But I thought it might be good for a moment just to ask how Mary could have lost sight of Jesus and not been able to find him in her life. And I wanted to look at a few of the factors that I thought went into um, Mary losing Jesus. The first factor, I think, is this. I, we, our early service moved up a little earlier this morning. So I can tell you, I think one of the factors for Mary is it's just early. And a lot of you probably aren't morning people. And you know that uh, earliness sometimes changes things. But I want to talk about earliness in another way. Sometimes when something bad happens, it's just too early to know where it might turn out, how it might go. And so we think it's a tragedy beyond any sort of redemption, but we really don't know that. Years ago, I was uh, flying and I missed a connection. And, uh, and I was very distraught because that meant I was going to arrive in a strange city in a strange airport very late at night where I didn't even know anyone uh, but as they moved me on to another flight, I found out from the person at the desk that the flight that I'd missed was still on the ground because they had electrical problems and wouldn't be leaving for five more hours. So it wasn't so bad. And then I got there and got to the airport in the strange city very late, midnight, about an hour and a half, a couple hours later, and I planned to arrive. And I'm one of the few people in the airport. And coming into the airport on another flight is one of my good friends. And at midnight, we hooked up, got a cab, and found our way where we were supposed to be. When it was early, it just looked like it wouldn't work out. But as time went on, it started to look differently. Sometimes when it's early, it's just too early to tell. I did a wedding a while back, and one of the groomsmen is part of the legal counsel team for a very large corporation in America. And I was telling him the story, which apparently he didn't know, that that corporation got started when a similar corporation laid off two men. So they went and started another one. And now the one that they've started after being laid off is much bigger than the one from which they were laid off. They couldn't have seen it at the time. It must have seemed too early and must have seemed tragic, but it ended up in the groomsmen having a good job and things changing for them. I believe that this side of heaven, it's always too early to declare something a total tragedy, to declare something beyond any sort of redemption or work of God, because we simply don't know where things are going to end up and what things might come together somewhere down the road. It's dark as well as early. I don't know if you've ever been in the dark, but total darkness can be pretty disorienting. Uh, some years ago, uh, years and years ago, when I took a tour of Alcatraz, one of the things you could do is be shut in solitary confinement. And so they shut in, uh, in solitary confinement. It was completely dark. And they said, now move around and, and feel the walls. So there are about 15 of us in there, and we start turning around, feeling things. And they said, all right, in a moment, we're going to open the door, so come back toward the door. I had no clue where the door was. The darkness had totally disoriented me. So sometimes I think we get disoriented by a crisis and we can't find any uh, possible door. We assume there must not then, in fact, be a way out anymore. 
It just doesn't appear possible because it's so dark. In these moments, we will need some light. I had one of those moments the other day. I got a very nice letter from the company that holds my 401k and with a statement that told me how much more money I lost in the first quarter of 2009, they had a very nice note with it. And the note encouraged me to do two things. One was to hang in there. And the second was that it said you might not want to watch so many financial shows every day on TV. You may not want more darkness pulled on your situation because more bad news gets on there and pretty soon you lose complete perspective of what might be going on in a larger picture in a larger world. Sometimes the darkness disorients us. I think it did to Mary. I think Mary got disoriented by her grief. We, we had a death in our family um, a, few, a couple months back, and I was amazed at how incapacitated I was for a few days, it, unable really to get much going, not have much energy, not even make pretty uh, easy, normally easy decisions. And, and grief does that. Grief tends to focus on us on what's been lost, and takes our attention out of what is still there or what is still possible. And I think grief turned Mary's attention to the tomb instead of away from the tomb where Jesus was going to be. I really think the main reason that Mary has lost Jesus and doesn't recognize him is Mary is looking for Jesus in the last place she saw him, in the tomb. And one of the things I've learned about the God of the universe is he's not, always, not only always with us, But he's also always going before us, ahead of us, making a a way for us, even when it appears that there is no way. And so the last place you ever want to look for Jesus is where you last saw him. The last place you want to look is in the tomb. But how often do we do that when little crises hits or there's difficulty? We look for the last time in the last place we got help. So it was that last retreat or it was that last church or that last pastor who was more helpful. We look somewhere behind us when Jesus is always moving in front of us, making a way even when it appears that there is no way. Jesus is always with us and always going before us. But the key is this. It may, he may appear in a form different than what you expect. Oftentimes it's my expectations that make Jesus not around if I were open to however Jesus might appear and whatever person he may come to me in, I might find him more frequently. One of the things that I've noticed in, in recent things that I've dealt with is that a lot of little things have happened that have given me space and time and breath in a difficult situation. And I started to realize that while Jesus wasn't going to take away my difficult situation for whatever reasons, He was going to give me little gifts along the way to make it possible to keep moving even in that situation. Mary lost Jesus because she looked for him for where he had been and she wasn't attentive to where he would yet be. Keep your eyes open in crisis because he's moving and he's moving ahead of you. I thought it was fascinating that when Mary saw Jesus, she assumed he was the gardener. And as Doug pointed out to the kids, that's a pretty good metaphor. Because when we first meet God, God is in the garden, in the Garden of Eden. And one of the things gardeners do is they plant, they cultivate, and occasionally they prune. Occasionally they cut so that more fruit may come. Now the problem is when you're being cut, you're not sure if you're being cut off, if it's all over, 
Or you're being cut back so that new growth may come from it. The eyes of faith tell us that we're being cut back so that more growth will come. And eventually, as Doug mentioned, when it's time, the gardener comes to the vineyard and takes the fruit home and takes the fruit to himself. And sometimes I think we miss that fact. Bruce Thielman, uh, years ago, used an analogy I found helpful. He was talking about grubs that lived at the bottom of the swamp. And occasionally, one of the grubs sort of makes his way up the leaf stem, gets to the top leaf, and then disappears. Now, the other grubs saw this pattern happening over and over, so they counseled together, and they said, okay, look, the next one of us who gets to the top and disappears needs to come back and tell the rest of us where he went. Agreed. So, one grub got to the top, fell asleep on the top leaf, felt his body shell breaking open, and out emerged a beautiful iridescent dragonfly. And in his newfound power and glory, he soared off, and then as he was soaring off, he said, oh yeah, I was supposed to come back and tell them where I went. But he knew he couldn't. And he knew that they couldn't completely understand. But he comforted himself with the knowledge that one day they would understand. One day they too would be soaring in glory and they would figure out where all this had ended up. And I think the same is true. The gardener knows where one day we're going and one day what it will be like, but we just on this side can't get a glimpse of that. It's very hard for us. And so like Mary, we just want to say, let's go get him. Let's find him. Let's drag him back where we are, not realizing that he soars beyond us to call us toward himself have you ever seen the tomb in, in israel have you ever seen pictures i think a lot of times we think they're like a giant walk-in closet and all you do is you know uh if you can get the stone moved then you move in you move in and it's easy to move around and uh you just walk right in one of the interesting things is we probably have that backwards typically the stones are pretty easy to move now i know we had a great prayer this morning about rolling away the stone but the truth of the matter is stones were made so people could move them And when the stone was made, though, you didn't just walk in because the opening is not very big. Notice in the scripture how how first John had to bend over to look in the tomb, and then Mary had to bend down to look in the tomb. You have to crawl in a tomb and out of a tomb. And I think one of the things that probably makes you respect and, and, and move more appropriately, quietly, and carefully in the presence of the dead, I suppose that's one of the things that's happening but one of the things, the, one of the practical results is there's just no easy way in and there's no easy way out. A rabbi who lived very near the time of Jesus, sitting with a family outside the tomb in their days of mourning, made this observation. He said, you know, the only graceful way out of one of these tombs is resurrection. Well, that's what happened. Gracefully and easily and without a fight, our Lord came out of the tomb in no particular hurry the napkin still folded up he's not worried that somebody else is going to come get him and make him go back he's not worried that anything can hold him there he knows that nothing can hold him or stop him and he takes his time and just through the tomb and out and moving on and moving ahead of us mary wants to go get him But the fact of the matter is nobody gets Jesus. Jesus comes and gets us. 
Nobody drags Jesus into their situation. Jesus freely and willingly walks into our situation, walks with us as well as before us, and then eventually takes us where only He can take us. Jesus is not bound in the way that others are bound. And we can no longer control or manipulate Him just as death can no longer do that. He is free. And He wants to be free to be with us and be ahead of us and meet us where we're going and then take us to where one day we will be. There was a PBS special a few years back. It was on the life of the great spiritual formation writer Henry Nallen. And one of the things the special talked about, and it's talked about in a book called Spiritual Direction, is near the end of his life, Nallen became fascinated with a group of trapeze artists called the Flying Rodleys. And he started catching their performances around Canada and finally met them backstage and told them what a big fan he was. And they said they invited him to come to Germany for a week-long uh, uh, event. They could come, he could come every night for a week and watch them. And so he did, and he was always amazed at how they would soar through the air and then be caught. And so one day he was uh, talking to Rodley, who was the great trapeze artist who would soar these amazing heights in the air, and he said, he said, what you do is beautiful and amazing. I'm just amazed at what you do. And Rodley's comment was, I don't do anything. Well, what do you mean? He said, he said I don't do anything. He said, I let go and, the, and head toward the catcher, and the catcher does the work. Well, what do you mean? He said, he said, if I reached out and grabbed the catcher, I might break his wrists. He said, the catcher does everything for me. I just soar through the air and trust that he will catch me. And he always does. And now I thought that that's not a lesson about the circus, our trapeze artist. That's a lesson about life. That here we are soaring through the air. We're not sure where and how. It's going to land. But we can't make that happen. All we can do is reach out and know that on the other end, there's a catcher who does the work. And though it may look like he's not going to catch us, and though it may look like we're not going to land in the right place, he always does, and we always do.